I wonder, I wonder what you think about um, justice. I wonder what you think about justice. I wonder if you think about justice much. Yesterday I was at the cricket uh, with John T and a couple of friends. Um, two happy campers right there, right? Um, that is also the worst selfie ever taken. <laughs> if you want to know how badly an iPhone 11 can take a selfie, that bad. Anyway, Johnson and I are at the cricket, and very kindly he asked me, hey, how's your preparation going for your sermon tomorrow? And um, I said, oh, it's interesting. I think I'm speaking on Jesus and justice. I think that's the topic in the text. And I said, I guess that's what happens when you just, you know, do what we're doing here at Vine Church, where you just read through books of the Bible, try not to skip anything, and just talk about what it says. And uh, you come across topics like justice that you think, gosh, like, wow, I didn't expect to see that necessarily here this week. And um, anyway, there it is. And John T. turns to me and he goes, of course, of course you're talking about Jesus and justice. And he said he's been reading recently, he's on a summer break, um, so plenty of time to do some reading, but about how the Western world, you know, in terms of justice, the Western world would be nowhere where it is today without Jesus without who he is and what he's done and what he taught. We'd be nowhere near that. Take, for example, these two first century quotes. First one, we have slaves drawn from every corner of the world in our households, and it's only by means of terror that we hope to coerce such a scum. And the second one, masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Do you know where they're from? The first one is the Roman historian Tacitus. The second is from the Apostle Paul in the Bible. You know, I know we live in a culture today that is far from being perfect when it comes to justice on every issue. Um, you know, but Jesus stepped into a culture that did not care much for women or for children, and he turned the whole thing upside down. And we know, actually, don't we, which comment, which view has stood the test of time out of those two. The modern West would be nowhere without Jesus. I mean, don't take Jonty's word for it. Um, we've talked about Tom Holland a little bit, not the British actor, but the British historian recently re released a book called Dominion, where he tried to answer this one question. How did the totalizing and draconian power of the Greco-Roman world become the redeeming and power of the modern Western world? You know, how did we end up where we are from the Greco-Roman world. And he, what he does is he takes us on a journey over two and a half thousand years from f 5 BC in Athens through to the present day. And his answer is this. His answer was surprising. It was unexpected for him. He's a liberal atheist. But he said the answer is Jesus on the cross. Christianity, Holland writes, began a revolution that has as its molten heart the image of a God dead on the cross. You know, Jesus and justice go together. Um, here's Lady Justice. I thought I might give you some definitions of justice. Not sure what's going through your head. The Oxford Dictionary um, defines justice as the maintenance of what is just or right. The maintenance of what is just or right by the exercise of authority or power. The exercise of authority or power. I got this from vocabulary.com. I thought it was pretty helpful. Take it with a grain of salt. Justice is the quality of being just or fair. Superheroes fight for justice, 
because they want everything to be fair and not to let the bad guys win. Just ask Wonder Woman, Superman, or any other member of the Justice League. Um, justice is usually associated with the law, and here is um, Madam Justice, Lady Justice, a blindfolded woman holding scales and a sword. And if something is brought to justice, the picture is the good guys have been rewarded, the bad guys have been punished, the scales are even. I wonder if you think much about justice. Um, I remember in high school learning about, you know, probably the first memory I have of justice, learning about the suffragists and the suffragettes of the early 20th century uh, who fought for the right for women to vote in Australia. Fast forward a few years in modern history, and I'm learning about the civil rights movement in the US, or I'm learning about indigenous rights in Australia. Um, over the past decade or two, of course, like social justice has, has been a bit of a catch cry. Um, but importantly, you know, there's been prevalent issues such as systemic racism, income equality, gender discrimination, the lack of access to education and healthcare. I think actually all of us have an innate sense of justice, and whether it's perfect or not, um, justice matters to us personally too, and I think we experience justice on a daily basis. Um, you know, we live in this amazingly wealthy, rich country, you know, Sydney, Australia. Isn't it beautiful today? I mean, we have this sunny, for once, city. Um, but we're opportunity rich, we're educationally rich, we're culturally rich. But there's more than that going on here. Below the surface, all of us experience some kind of injustice. Maybe something has been said to you or about you. Maybe you've been treated in a way that has been unjust, where you have been uh, inappropriately, of course, hurt. Someone said something unfair. You've been overlooked. You've been harassed. We talk about justice um, in our daily lives. A common thread through these three different episodes that Eve read to us is the theme of justice, if I haven't made that already clear. Let me show you on the screen, or if you've got your Bible open in front of you, the last few verses there, it says, Jesus will proclaim justice to the nations, and he will bring justice to victory. So we're going to talk about Jesus and justice today. Um, we're going to do something pretty simple this morning. We're just going to work through these three episodes in turn. But the secret source to these three different episodes is this question. What does it show us about the way or about the Jesus way of justice? What does it show us about how Jesus does justice? That's the secret source to figuring out what these texts are about, to make it tasty, carrying the metaphor on too long. Here we go. I, I, think, I think if you're willing to look at this, it's absolutely mind-blowing. It'll change your life. I've been struck by it this week, and once we're done, my prayer for you is that you will see Jesus and justice in a new light, in true color, with more depth and perspective than you have before, in 8K, um, and that you will long for his justice, and you'll long to live and do like his justice in your own life to one another. That's the point. So, episode one, let's do this. The grain fields. Let's go there. Go to chapter 12, verse 1. I'm just going to reread it for you quickly because it only takes a few, about 40 seconds. It says this. Look at your Bibles with me. 
Um, I'm not sure whether I've got it on the screen. No. Look at your Bibles. Chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is our first little question this morning. You know, where does justice come from? Where does Jesus get his sense of justice from? You know, where's he, what's his source? Where's he drawing his sense of justice from? Some of you are going to say, oh, this Matt's point right now is so typical for those old school Christians, so Anglican, perhaps. But what's the answer? Jesus gets it from the Old Testament, doesn't he? Did you notice? He has three responses, three arguments. He'd make a great barrister. You want him on your side. And all of his arguments start with, have you not read? In fact, the language gets more and more cutting, doesn't it? And sharp. Have you not read? Have you not read in the law? They're the experts of the law. And then finally, if you had known what these words mean, like if you'd read it and understood it. You know, you and I both know people who would say, I like Jesus. I'm okay with the New Testament. Some good stuff in there. But I'm not so sure about the Old Testament. Or I like Jesus, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament. It's a bit ridiculous, isn't it? Where does Jesus get his sense of justice from? From the Old Testament. Like, where does Jesus get who he is and what he does from? From the Old Testament. That's exactly where he gets it from. And your retort could probably be to your friend who says that, exactly Jesus' retort. It sounds like you haven't really read it. The basis of Jesus' ethics, his morals, his justice is the Old Testament. It's stories, it's history, You cannot do the Christian life without the Old Testament. You can't do the Christian life without reading your Bible and not just flicking through it, but actually understanding what it means. I know this sounds, you know, simple, simplistic, but Jesus actually gets even sharper here. And he's saying the thing is you have to get your life and your justice. Not from tradition, he says, but from the Scriptures. He's very sharp on this. All the commentators point out what's interesting about the Pharisees' question is that it is not obvious at all that the disciples, by going along, picking heads of grain and eating them, are breaking any law in the Bible. It's not obvious at all. There's, There's nothing in the Bible that says that. That's the point. The Jews did have their extra writings, their extra traditions on top of the Bible, some two and a half million words. That's about three times the length of the Bible, called the Talmud, um, which expound on the Bible, you know, help you understand apparently what it means. And in there, there is a reference to reaping on the Sabbath. Can't do that. But picking a head of grain to eat it, could that really be breaking the law? 
And Jesus' point is, we cannot be informed by tradition. We've got to be reformed by the Bible. If we want to know how God does justice, we've got to go to his words. You know, it's easy here, isn't it, to point the finger at the Pharisees. But I wonder where we are often more cautious and, and protect our cultural Christian values and heritage and tradition than we do the Bible, than we go to the Bible. Where does that hit the road for us? I'll let you figure that out. But the second little thing we find in this passage, in this little episode, is, um, is what is justice? What is justice? And here Jesus uh, responds in verse 7, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Now how does Jesus describe his justice? What is God's justice? What is justice? Justice is mercy. Justice is mercy. It's kindness. Now this is so interesting, I think. Like is that what you expected? That Jesus' view of justice is mercy, is kindness? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot I could say here, but I just, I just want to make this point quite quickly. This was absolutely helpful for me. Um, Hosea 6, where Jesus is quoting from, um, is, was originally written in Hebrew. And the word, if you go back to the Hebrew Bible, is I desire steadfast love. I desire, the word in Hebrew is hesed. And it's actually, it's the word that, that the Bible uses for how we're meant to relate to God with a covenantal love. It's like a marriage. That's how you're meant to, it's how you're meant to obey God. It's obedience to God. That's the word there. I desire obedience, not sacrifice. Obedience to me. What's really interesting is like 300 years before Jesus, when um, when the Jewish community started speaking Greek, they, were, they said to themselves, we've got, to, we've got to write our Hebrew Bible in Greek. We've got to translate it. And you know what these Pharisees are like, these, these scribes are like. They're, I mean, they're pinpoint accurate. And so they're looking at their Hebrew Bible and they're trying to figure out how do we explain what is meant by obedience to God in the Old Testament? How do we explain what is meant by obedience, obedience to, the, to these people? How do we do it? And you know what word they chose? They chose mercy. They chose kindness. In other words, they chose how do you be obedient to God? You love your neighbor. And this is why Jesus said, you know, when he responds, what is the most important commandment? Somebody asked Jesus that. And he says, love, it is to love God. And a second is equal to it. A second is like it. A second is equivalent to it. It's exactly the same. You must love your neighbor as yourself. You know what to love God is, to be obedient to God is? It is to love thy neighbor. They are the same. How do you love God? You love your neighbor. This is why the Bible says that God's thing is, his justice is, what's important to him is, is mercy is loving your neighbor. So that's the first thing we see in this first episode, that justice is mercy. And, and ju the justice is mercy. Let's have a look at the second episode together, The Withered Hand. 
the withered hand. Um, let me recap this for you. It's probably not on the same day um, that it, we're just told. It's right here on the screen for you. Going on from that place. Um, it's probably not the same day. We know that from another gospel that says it was a different Sabbath. But Matthew ties these two little episodes together because he's drawing a theme out, which is justice, I think. And he's, he's, uh, what's interesting is we're not in the grain fields anymore. But rather, look where he goes. He went into their synagogue. Isn't that interesting? Jesus doesn't walk away from the issue just yet. He goes further into the Pharisees' territory. He's not uh, done with them. He's got a point to make. He's not avoiding them. He's going in. And there's a man there with a withered hand. That's a, a shrunken, immobile, lifeless, dry hand, a diseased hand. It's probably paralyzed how you and I would understand it. And the Pharisees corner Jesus. They've got Jesus there. They've got the man with the withered hand there. Themselves, they corner him and they say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Again, the first century Jews discussed at length what is permitted when it comes to caring for people on the Sabbath, on this holy day. And I was doing some reading this week through the Mishnah and the Talmud, trying to figure it out. And as far as I could tell, you can work out how to pop pimples on the Sabbath and keep it holy. <laughs> Something like that. Get away with it. The, the customary Jewish ruling was you could help someone, you could care for someone in need as long as it was a life and death situation. That was basically how it worked out. That is obviously not our situation here. The man has a paralyzed hand. He's not going to die. Uh, but Jesus goes deeper. And he says, we're not dealing with rules here. We're dealing with a person. We're dealing with this man. And so he starts to talk about how the Bible talks about dealing with people, with things that are alive, with human beings. And he actually he starts with a sheep. And again, there were sects of Judaism that um, had decided that rescuing an animal from the pit, from a pit on Sabbath, um, was illegal. Um, in fact, they'd worked out things like, here's what you could do if you've got a sheep that, is, um, that finds itself in a pit, looks like it's going to die on the Sabbath, you could throw it some food to keep it alive until Monday, you know? Or you could throw something in there to help it climb its way out on its own. They figured out eventually this is a bit ridiculous, and the Talmud concludes that the avoidance of animal suffering should actually be overridden, or should actually override the regulations. That's what they decided. Makes sense, right? And so Jesus actually just says to them, well, hang on, surely kindness to people is as legal as kindness to animal, animals. Surely kindness to people is as legal as kindness to animals. What does this tell us about Jesus and justice? And for Jesus, justice is all about people. That's his point. It's all about the person. Justice is all about people over rules. You know, the Sabbath, of course, is important. And there were rules established around the Sabbath uh, to keep it holy. It was important because it, it told the Jews and it tells us today by not doing things on the Sabbath that God is in control. That the world still rolls on when you take your hands off 
that God can provide for our needs. You don't have to work every day to do that. The Sabbath and the rules do that. But actually, the Sabbath was made for doing good and it was made for people. This is the point that Mark makes when he's commentating on this same story. Mark says, the Gospel writer Mark, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is about people. It's not about rules. You know, this is the Jesus way of justice. One that's not inhibited by rules and regulations, that we're not determined. um, What we do in a situation isn't determined by what is right and wrong as much as it is determined by the individual in front of us. There's an amazing example of this. Um, I don't know about you, but every time I come to Christmas... I often ask God to give me just one thing new this year. You know, just help me understand one thing new this year. Give me a new light on something. And this year, I think the thing that really stood out to me was how Joseph responds to Mary when he finds out that she's pregnant before the angel tells him what's going on. You remember the moment? It's Matthew, and it's Matthew 1.19, and it says this. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he's a justice kind of guy, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Isn't that amazing? What a godly guy. Because he was faithful to the law, you know, he knew the only thing that could make sense to him of what was going on was that she had been unfaithful to him. Mary had effectively committed adultery. And you know the punishment in Joseph's day and time. You know, in Egypt, the punishment that the adulteress would, her nose would be chopped off. In Persia, her nose and her ears would be chopped off. In Judah, she would be stoned, or the the person who committed adultery would be stoned, most likely to death. And that's the law. Legally, he would have been allowed to execute justice on her for committing adultery. But what's Joseph do? He sees the person and he loves the person. He sees the impact that the, the law would have on her. And because he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, she probably would have experienced not just public disgrace, but maybe a horrific death. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. I think he knows God's way of justice. You know, imagine if Mary had been connected with a man who was a little bit hasty to act, didn't sleep on it, didn't get the dream that night. You know, was someone who's quick to anger. He wouldn't have found out the full story. Thank God for his justice and for a man who knew it and acted like it. You know, I think the the point from Joseph and Jesus this morning right here, the lesson from Joseph and Jesus, is that some of us love to be faithful to the law. We love to be right. We love to get our categories of right and wrong perfect. We love to do tit for tat. This was done for her. This This will be done. This was done for him. It will be done for me. And look, the thing is, you might, you might be right. But what we often forget is two things. 
A, we never really know the other side of the story. That's the point from Joseph. And B, we're talking about people, real people. There's always humans on the other side of the stick. People who may be wrong, but whom we should love. And yes, God wants us to be just and to be fair. He doesn't want us to be otherwise than that. But you have to look at the withered hand. You have to look at the person. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you someone who's a stickler for the rules, for tit for tat, or are you someone who sees the face, sees the person, the human behind every encounter? Are you protecting yourself or are you trying to protect the other? And this leads us to the third little account here. Um, who is justice for? Justice is for people. That's the second point. The third episode, the withdrawal and the paperweight take paper cups. The paperweight, how do I say that? The withdrawal and the paper takeaway cups. I've got your attention. Third little episode. Have a look at verse 16 if you've got your Bible there. Um, we're told in verse 15, actually, Matthew tells us that Jesus withdrew. It's here on the screen as well. Jesus withdrew from that place. But more than that, so there's a plot against his life. He finds out there's a conspiracy to kill him, to destroy him, to take him out. And he withdraws. He walks. In verse 16, we're told he orders or warns those who are with him not to tell others about him. The word's actually a rebuke. It's a very serious warning. Don't tell anyone who I am. And it's not a false modesty. This, this is the famous Jesus the famous messianic secret where Jesus keeps his identity hidden, his purpose hidden for a while because people have misleading expectations about who he is. They expect that God's chosen servant is going to be a militaristic, warlike hero, a superhero from the Justice League, a figure that's going to take politics and religion and Rome head on, but he withdraws for a moment. As Isaiah foretold in the next verse here, um, he will not quarrel, not quiet, cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. And if the first two points are about um, where justice comes from, what it is, who it's for, this final point here is how does Jesus go about doing justice? What's his nature like as he does justice? How does Jesus do justice? And what do we find out? Go further into verse 20. Uh, we've seen he withdraws. He's quiet. But then notice this. These are two little morsels I've been enjoying this past week. A bruised reed he will not break. A smothered wick he will not snuff out. A reed and a wick are very commonplace objects in the first century. A, a reed, this is literally like a, a piece of grass that grows out of the water. It could be used for many things, making paper, making pens, uh, all sorts of household objects. And wicks, of course, are the way you do lighting, like a candle or a lamp. And so we're talking about light bulbs here. We're talking about piece of paper. We're talking about tissues, you know. And like a used tissue or a takeaway coffee cup or a broken light bulb, you know, once it's used and broken, what do we do with it? We discard it. We throw it out, don't we? We're done with it. You use a tissue, you throw that tissue in the bin, please. I'm talking to myself there. 
My wife knows it. <laughs> They're always in my pockets. I'm so sorry, babe. And then they go through the wash, you know. Yeah. Look at my what? She empties my pockets. What a wife. No, I, she tells me to do it myself. I've learned. I'm trying to learn. But what do we do with these things, these commonplace things that you might find in your pocket? <laughs> that was not on purpose. We throw them out. We discard them. But not Jesus. And what are we talking about here? A bruised reed. These are images for people in need, people who are hurting. A bruised reed is someone who is hurt, internally hurting, someone who is bleeding, who's just trying to keep things together. You know, maybe you're someone who's emotionally depleted. You're limp from anxiety. The stress you're going through is absolutely overwhelming. Maybe you're under so much pressure you can hardly walk. You can feel it here every day. Maybe you're feeling crushed by life. Maybe you're suffering not on the outside, but on the inside. Maybe you're someone like a smoldering wick. Someone whose faith is close to being put out. You're exhausted. You're burnt out. You've got doubts. You've got questions. And it's like all the energy and all the joy and all the spark is going. You're growing cold, indifferent, apathetic. Here's the question. How is Jesus going to treat you? How does Jesus treat you? And what do you expect Jesus to do? Look at it. It's right there. A bruised reed he will not break. If that's you, he's not going to break you. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Jesus never looks at a a candle that's burnt out and goes, he never does that. You know, if Jesus is extreme about anything, if he's an extremist about anything, it's in the category of gentleness. Jesus is extremely gentle. He's so gentle. And he's gentle with you. And we don't know that I think that's not our intuition. That's why you've got to read it. That's why you've got to hear it. That's why you've got to tell one another about it because he's not like us. And what do we do with people who are on the margins, who aren't winning in life, who don't look good on the outside, who aren't successful? Like, they're already on the margins and we, we leave them there. We dispose of them. We, We complete their journey. We put them off to one side. That is not Jesus. He is gentle and kind. Here's what this is all pointing to. Here's what this is all pointing to. These stories, these accounts are not isolated incidents that point to a better way of living, a better moral for you and I, a better way to do justice, although they point in that direction and we should do that, but ultimately they point to something else. And I hope you don't think I've presented Jesus this morning as someone who is soft I'm trying to help you see that Jesus' justice is perfect. It's different to ours. I'm trying to help you see his heart. Jesus is no pushover. He's not tolerant. His justice is not one-sided and uneven and unbalanced. His justice is perfect. Listen, his disciples could eat on that day because he is greater than the temple. That's what he said. He said, I am God. That's why they can eat here. He does good, and he does good so perfectly in front of people who have spent their lives trying to do good with every 
I dotted and T crossed, that they try and kill him because he's so perfect. He goes quiet just for a time, just for a moment, not to be modest, but so that we would one day see his ultimate justice. He's not just a good teacher, but he's bringing God's justice. And where does he do that? He does that on the cross, doesn't he? He does that on the cross. All of this points to Jesus bringing God's justice on the cross. There's a fourth little episode. This is take one minute. I'm going to ask the band to come up because we're about to sing. There's a fourth little scene, the victory where Jesus says, or Isaiah says about him, he will bring justice to victory. You know, this is telling us that there is a day coming when Jesus will bring justice to fruition, where the scales will be balanced, where every single injustice will be accounted for, every single big and little justice will be finalized. It's a little bit scary because I know and you know we've both been on both sides of injustice. You know, whilst we've received injustice, we've also dealt it out. And it might be tiny. It might be a word you've said. It might be a wrong that you've done. It might be an attitude that you have about something. It might be a thought or a feeling. But one day, when justice is served perfectly by Jesus, when it has its day in court, the scales will be balanced and every grain will be measured. And the Bible teaches what we owe in that moment for not meeting the needs of others, not loving others and not loving God. If we've done any wrong ever towards any human or if we've done any wrong towards our maker, we owe our lives. We will pay with our lives. It's that serious. But this passage is pointing towards a moment when Jesus did bring justice, God's justice, in advance of that moment to offer us a way out. This is the good news. To save you and I from that ultimate day of justice. Because on, on the cross, Jesus brings not only God's absolute, holy, perfect, exacting justice, but he brings God's merciful, compassion, compassionate, kind, willing love. And how can God express both his perfect justice and his mercy, his kindness, how can he do that? Only in a divine substitute, only in Jesus on the cross, where the substitute receives the punishment and we receive the pardon. That's what you can put your hope in. We're going to close our eyes for a moment. I'm going to pray and the band are going to lead us in a song. Jesus, we thank you so much that you save us, that you rescue us, from God's perfect judgment. And you do it so justly. Lord, I ask this morning that those of us who feel like bruised reeds or burnt wicks would know that God sees them. God sees you as you are. But he doesn't come to snuff you out or to throw you away. But he comes to you to bring new life to you. To bring you saving justice and mercy. Lord, I pray that we all might know that this morning. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.